Dirt talk. Dirt talk. Dirt talk. Dirt talk. Dirt talk. Oh yeah. I think this, the other one was getting detailed too. That's above my pay grade. <laughs> I don't know what my cars get washed. This are washed. We, it's to the point now where Jessica just says, you're getting a haircut this week. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Thank you for taking care of me, Jessica. Because <laughs> because she had to get, she had to do it because it's like, that's a point where I'm just not going to get a haircut. I'm just going to. Yeah, I don't have time. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I am the kind of person to be like, oh, I should have gotten a haircut this month. <laughs> like I could have done well, it, but it's just. You got a haircut. Do you get a haircut very often? Yeah, I probably get a haircut every five or six months now. That's that's quite a bit of time between haircuts. Yeah, I think my next one might be come back to earth a little bit. Oh yeah, buzz cut. I want, no, not a buzz cut. Spiky. But I'm tired of not. It's hard to wear a hat, oh, and I like wearing hats. Yeah, that's a bummer. I wear hats pretty frequently. <sighs> it's just it's kind of ruined my workflow with a hat. You know, if I wear a hat, I have to like wear it a certain way and. Like, Chell's got shorter hair than me, and so he can kind of, like, wear his backward hat in a way well, that works. Yeah, and Chell, Chell's just kind of shaggy. Yeah. And then what Chell does is he cuts it really short, like, once a year. And just lives with it. And, and then, then, it and then, and yeah. then it grows it all the way back out. He just goes through that cycle. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, I've known him for a few years now, and it's pretty consistent. Just goes right through the cycle. But there's the one picture of y'all when y'all went to Kane Prime where he had, like, actual just short hair. I know, because he cuts but it. I've never, but I've never seen... He hasn't had it that short really? in a while. No, I feel like he cuts it pretty short every time. I mean, time. maybe he does, but yeah. I mean, it was like your length in that picture. Mm-hmm. Now he's a little more shaggy. Living the life, man. Yeah. Life's good if you're Chell Gerber. Yep. If you're a BCP, blue collar photographer. <laughs> <laughs> if you're the blue collar photographer. They made, did you see what, did yes. you see what they made? They made Chell stickers. So good. That's pretty fun. I, I need to figure out how to get one. I'm, I'm putting one on my hard hat. Mm-hmm. You better believe it. Yeah. Putting one on a cooler too, probably. Yeah, we all sell those things. I've got all kinds of thoughts for like, we should sell that in the store. We need to get the store rolling in the next phase. But yeah, yeah. I have plenty of ideas for like how this would be great in the store. Yeah, I am I'm working on things right now mm-hmm. to hopefully get the store and other things accelerated. Sure. Accelerated. Yeah. And uh slow down to speed up is definitely right now. Let's get some ducks in the row. Yep. Which is why I'm traveling so much. We got a handful of comments from the most recent Dirt Talk clip on LinkedIn and actually on Instagram as well, mentioning how awesome your like Hawaiian builder shirt is. Everybody loves it. And Everybody. so I said something to Jack Briscoe. I was like, dude, we're going to need to have a Hawaiian shirt in the builder store. He's oh. like, dude, trust me. Already motion. I've made that suggestion, I don't know, 300 times over. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. We could probably get all the money we need from selling Hawaiian shirts. Yeah. I'm spending all my, my time uh, over here on the wrong wrong things. Yeah, it turns out all the money's in Hawaiian shirts. And I, I just made those for fun for our first team meeting. Yeah. Our very first team meeting where I made those shirts. It's a very cool shirt. I got a women's size, uh, <laughs> it turns bummer. out. Bummer. It's cool. But it's women's size. So it doesn't fit. Oh, too. not even a little bit. I think me and Matt Biddle both somehow ended up with like women's cut. Bummer. And he and I are not women's size. N- um, <laughs> no. Neither in height nor width. <laughs> but they're cool shirts. And I love when you get to wear yours. Chill wears his a lot too. I wear mine almost once a week. Nah. I it's a Friday just, shirt. I just cycle through the exact same shirts over me and over. <laughs> and then I'll have the same. I have the same travel shirts. And then I have the same kind of at-home shirts. And so on the Dirt Talk episodes, I'm probably wearing 
the same like four shirts on every episode we've ever recorded. Like this one, the Hawaiian shirt, my upside down build it excavating grading shirt, my dinosaur shirt. Your dinosaur shirt. That's what I was going to say. That's kind of about it. Yeah. That's fine. It's good to have a uniform. You know, many entrepreneurs do. Mm-hmm. Um, yours is more interesting than like the, what, oh shoot, what's it called? It's not, not a capsule wardrobe, but where it's like you have like five things and that's it. That's like you just wear those five things over and that's, over again. That's a simpler way to go, though. I wish I, I, I'm half tempted to live that kind of lifestyle. I think you and I are both similar to where it's like if you get like a shirt you like, you might, I better buy it. In all the other colors it comes in. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> yeah. If I find a shirt I like, I'm like, I am for sure buying this exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, last night we were at dinner with the leadership team and we, you know, our leadership team was sitting at one table and then next to us was a bunch of guys in traditional business, business attire, shirts and ties and all that. And I was just sitting there, I was talking to Jason, just sitting there like, I am so glad I don't have to do that every day. Mm-mm. Imagine wearing a shirt and tie to work. I cannot every single day. I had to go when I went to the uh, Andy for and Ed Milet deal last year. That was there was retired uh, uh, required dress code for one of the dinners, and it was a sport coat. Oh yeah, I remember that. And I had to go buy a sport coat because like <laughs> I don't have I don't have a sport. I would wear this to a wedding. Like I'm not. I, I have, there's no reason to get dressed up in my life at all, at all. I got like some dressy clothes for New Year's, but it was because. Because I'm like, well, I haven't been anywhere like where I need anything nice at all. No. Like in a while. You know, I'm not going to weddings. And especially in the last couple of years, like those are just not happening nearly as frequently. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, yeah, I, don't, I just don't have nice clothes. I'm At some point, I would like to spend some money on nice clothes. But like, I don't even know what I want. No. So I'm not even going to worry about it. No, with pants, I have a pair of work pants when I go travel. And I have a pair of around the office pants. That's it. It's a simple system. You have two pairs of jeans. I have more pairs, but I don't really wear them. And then my work pants, they'll rip after a while because I'll be running around in them Mm -hmm. and I don't wash them or anything like that. So they just kind of get beat up. Okay, they ripped. Buy another pair. One of the great things I've learned as an adult, I get my jeans fixed, get them patched. Oh, really? 12, 15 bucks. Wow. Aren't you Mr. Patagonia? Hey, man, I have not bought new jeans probably in three or four years. Really? Yeah, but really? I but I'll get I'll get a pair patched maybe every not not every pair of jeans gets patched this frequently, but I'm getting some pair of jeans patched every 4 months probably. Where do you get jeans patched? At the tailor? The dry cleaners. At the dry cleaners? If they do any alterations, they'll do they absolutely will patch jeans. Really? Yep. Does it and it looks normal? Oh, um, it looks okay like if I have some like in my leg or whatever. Yeah. Um they'll basically just like put another piece of jean on the back like you guys have some character but like really? you can't even tell the ones i have on i've probably had them patched three or four times no kidding yeah these are probably eight years old huh wow that's a just a thought the fun fact when you buy nice enough clothes it's cheaper to not that these are nice these are like levi's but mm-hmm. it's cheaper to like get them fixed as opposed to having to buy a new pair of jeans especially if you like them well i've gotten some patagonia stuff fixed i just fixed my jacket the other day with some tape yeah i don't know that you got your jacket that jacket fixed you fixed a jacket. i customized it Oh, and now you're not going to have to wear that jacket anytime soon, so you're probably good. Well, today was a little chilly, but yes, <laughs> spring is in theory, upon us. In theory, I think we're there. Spring is here. The baby Jesus will be born this weekend. Mm-hmm. No, that's not how it used to work. <laughs> I almost bought it for a second. I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally. I'm like, no, the subject's right. The uh, event is wrong. Uh, the baby Jesus is almost here, which I'm very excited about. The groundhog 
Yeah, big groundhog has day not guy. seen his shadow. Has seen his shadow, whichever one that I is. I don't. And warm weather is here. I'm just <laughs> speaking. I feel like the way Groundhog Day works. Are like, yeah, well, he didn't see a shadow, so only, or so there's going to be six more weeks of winter or whatever. But then if he sees his shadow, they're like, oh, well, now there's only six more weeks till spring. I, I, I think Groundhog Day is is a commercial enterprise. Probably is. I don't buy. Punks Tony Phil. Yeah. What the hell does he know about weather? He just hides in a hole all day long. Does he even hide? I don't think he hides in a hole. I think they have like a whole house for him. Oh, he's a groundhog. Yeah, yeah, but but it's he's a professional groundhog, so he has. I mean, like, what number is he? That's the question we have quarters. to ask. Like, well, that's the point. Fifty. Too. <laughs> yeah. Maybe more than that. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe groundhogs just last forever. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> they have a hundred year lifespan. <laughs> I saw I saw one thing I was talking about. Like some seagulls can live up to thirty years, and it was like, do you think seagulls remember Friends, the show? Uh, maybe <laughs> I'm like jeez maybe not there uh you know watch a lot of tv yeah yeah that's pretty funny um or they're that's why they poop on people because everybody's on their phones they're not paying attention to the seagulls anymore they're like hey look at us come on like we're gonna come steal a chip off poop your on your you. your beach towel you know that's what they do i uh when i was in saint george i was with a company jp excavating great great group yeah fascinating operation and the big thing out there is the desert tortoise. Of course. Now, the desert tortoise apparently is not even native to the area of St. George or this specific tortoise, hmm. but it's still protected nonetheless, which I didn't know was a thing. So, they Kinda built like this, now that you're here, they we'll built this road you. through the desert. And during the road construction, no, you, you could not harm a tortoise. God forbid. But after construction and, and what, how they built the road, they built tortoise crossings underneath the road. And so it is a four by four culvert underneath the road, padded with dirt. So the tortoise is not walking on concrete. How do they know to go in there? I have no idea. But there's even, get this, there's even skylights so that the tortoise can see where the hell it's going in the tunnel, in the tortoise crossing. That's cool. It's cool. But I'd be willing to bet that like two tortoises have ever used those. Well, so now it's making me think, I'm like, would that be like the sickest campsite ever? Yeah. Like it'd be real cool in there. Yeah. You know? Or spooky. Well, it would be spooky. Depends on how wide the road is, I guess. spiders down there. Like if it's like a two, is it like a two lane road or like a No, it's like a four lane road. So it's like a, it's a sizable tortoise crossing, Hmm. tortoise tunnel. That's cool. But, but if you look at the cost of tortoise crossing per like like per, cost per, per tortoise crossing yeah the cost of each tortoise crossing per <laughs> tor- tortoise crossing that's yeah, probably probably pretty pretty expensive to get those tortoises across yeah. the road safely do you see any when you're out there no you don't see them they're you don't even ever see them just in theory they're always just they're they live underground too typically. oh do they really? yeah oh, okay well they spend half the year underground so sure they'll be kind of active and you like I've ended up with a tortoise in my yard once or twice. And you just look at it. You're like, what are you doing here? And do you belong to anybody? Because what, what happens is people have they're bigger pets. than like a box turtle, right? Oh, it de- yeah, it depends. It depends what kind of tortoise. Okay. But, but they'll have them as pets. And they'll dig under walls and escape all the time. Yikes. That's pretty frequent. So if you have tortoises in your backyard, you need to have really, really, really deep foundations. Oh, or weird. else they'll just dig right under yeah. Intense. I, I mean, that's one word for it. Anyway, welcome to Tortoise Talk. 
Welcome to Dirt Talk, everybody, where we just talk about industry-related topics, leadership, grow yourself and your business here at Dirt Talk with Alex and Aaron. Working on your business, not in your business. Um, we have, this is our fourth podcast for today, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I think we're running out of things to talk about, hence the <laughs> tortoises. Or maybe we were so jazzed about tortoises. How long I, have we been going? 12 minutes. <laughs> 12, but I was, I have seen a bunch of, so this is one of the problems with building things in the construct in, in America is the lawyers and the environmentalists have really gone to town. Sure. Really gone to town for the sake of, we need to protect the environment. There cannot be no harm. There cannot be any harm whatsoever. And uh, it's very detrimental to economic progress a lot of times. Um, and it's funny, these people... Like they protested the subdivision very, very intensely. Where do you live? Like, how do you protest a subdivision of houses? So where do you live? Are you living amongst the desert tortoises out in the desert and recycling everything? And it's like, how, how can you go protest residential construction when you live in a house? How does that work? What's, I don't want other people to have houses. Yeah. yeah. Stupid. I had, to, I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to get to my house. I went I to the House of Hard Knocks. But, there, but there's, it's like the, you know, desert tortoise and this burrowing owl. And it's, oh, it's, you know, rare squirrel mating season. So we can't do any work right now. There's all of these environmental rules now. And it makes it really, really difficult to get a lot of projects done nowadays, which is a bummer. I'm all for saving tortoises and all that, but also I've seen the extent they go to out there on some of these solar jobs. It's a little insane. Like this could be, could just be better. Well, there was one solar job outside of Nevada, um, outside of uh, Vegas. It was a 15 mile road, dirt road to get to the solar farm, which is, that's a, that's a little ways. There were desert tortoises out there. So they had to set up tortoise fence all the way down the 15-mile stretch of road. And then, this is the worst part, it was a very strict 10-mile-per-hour speed limit. In the desert. <laughs> In the middle of nowhere. Brutal. Very strict. And if the, oh, if the general contractor caught you, you were thrown off. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. And it was posted and very obviously posted. You don't miss it. Every... 12 feet or so. It was ridiculous. Jeez. Yeah. So you're just like, just sitting there, just like, wow. Yeah, this is uh, it's cool. Because if one tortoise got run over, whole project could get shut down. Or when I was in uh, California, I can tell these stories all day long. They tie these little reflective strips to the scrapers. Because if one of these birds lands on the scraper and puts its, puts its nest in there, you can't touch the machine anymore. So it'd be a $2 million machine. They can't move because there's They nest can't in move it. because a bird nested in the damn thing. Ugh. And you can't do anything about it. So they put these little reflective strips to like scare the birds scare away. the birds away. It's like, go, go nest elsewhere. We don't want you in our 657. They just need scraper. to put a fake owl on top of every piece of machinery. That That's would, the real that way. That would be cool. I feel like I've seen that before. <laughs> that would be sweet. Yeah. It would look cooler, all I'm saying. Yeah. So only in the last couple of weeks did I ever find out that Utah also has desert and not just mountains. I oh, don't know any better. Oh, dude. 
Utah is one of the most diverse states I've been to. Is Zion like in South Utah? Mm -hmm. Okay. Zion's there. And um, yeah, you have the whole Wasatch Front. You, you, you have the Great Salt Lake area. There's so many yeah. awesome, beautiful parts of Utah. And Southern Utah is extraordinary because I, I grew up in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. and so we, I would go up to Utah all the time. Zion and Bryce. and Yeah, Bryce. Yeah. It's an awesome place. Sick. Moab. Moab. Moab's a little overrated nowadays, though. Kind of popular. It's so popular, and the infrastructure hasn't grown at all. So it's just a total zoo. It's is, like Sedona. Is, uh. <laughs> is Moab one of those places where you have to have, um, like, a permit to go to it now? No, it's a town. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I'm sure they regulate some parts of the surrounding area. Yeah. I know there's, like, a couple, like, hikes you can do, like, from, like, starting in Idaho or Montana or something that and come through like Utah or Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, like all the way to Mexico. That's a long hike. And you have to have like permits because they don't want to like let too, let too many people do it. Yeah. I'm like, I don't really want to do that hike anyway. Um, speaking of travel, I go to Europe in a week. Man, I just feel like you're, you travel so much that it's like you can't even look forward to the big one because you like got four other places to go first. Yeah, this one's I'm just I'm not thinking about it at all. Just kind of show just like up show up at the airport like any other thing. Hope it works. Yeah, but we're gonna go see three. Have we talked about it on the podcast a little bit? But I think okay. you can certainly keep going. So I'm not sure if this is redundant or not, but we're going to see three or four very large Swiss demolition companies, which I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. And then we're hanging out with Lee Bear in France and Germany. Yeah, that's gonna be sick. So ten I'm, days. Um. Yeah, nine or ten. Okay. I'm. I'm really, really, really excited for it because I'm gonna be able to see the industry in a much more refined way. Because I've heard the Europeans are very refined, methodical, a little further along in the industry standards and equipment world than the United States is. Well, there's a lot of buildings out there that are like a thousand years older than our country. I don't. I don't know how. Such a small country as Switzerland has so many massive demolition companies either because they have a lot of, old a lot stuff of mountains and so they don't have maybe as much many places to build. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But that, that'll be really exciting to report on. So stay tuned there. Cool. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Wait, you leave Monday? Did you just say? No, no. I leave a week from Saturday. A week from Saturday. Got it, got it, got it. I have to run the Boston Marathon this weekend. Oh, yeah. Well, that's something to say too. Mm -hmm. Um. What is that Sunday, Saturday, Monday, Monday? Oh, that's right. I forgot that's like during the week. Isn't yeah, it? it's kind of funny. So, um, yeah. And you're not really like you've talked a little bit. Before. You're not really doing like any training. You just continue to do what you do, and then I'll show up and run the marathon. Yeah, I'm just gonna show up and run it. Yeah, it's a flex. Yeah, I just I just show up to marathons and run them. No big I, deal. I bought some uh, dried mango at the store this week, so that'll be my fuel. Yeah, that was actually my follow up question. Mango man, do you so for a race like that? What are you carrying? I will have a like hydration pack with me that I typically like to wear when I race because it'll have like an electrolyte mix in it. So I'm not just drinking water, but I don't like Gatorade because that's too much sugar. You get that hydration multiplier, man. Yeah. But I, um, so I'll have that and then I'll probably just have dried mango and pineapple to eat. You're not going for long enough in a marathon to, you can technically just not eat for a marathon. It'll suck. But you're, I've learned fine. to eat a lot. I've learned how to eat while I run in a race. So I'll just 
eat a little bit beforehand and then just live off of dried fruit for the race and then I'll eat plenty afterwards. How long do you how long do the pair of running shoes last for you these days? Um probably three or four months. Okay. Four months. Good amount of miles in those for sure. Yeah. And th- the thing about a marathon too, this is gonna sound a little ridiculous, but you don't burn that many calories. You burn like it's like two thousand calories, like fifteen hundred, two thousand calories. That's not that much energy. So everybody's like, "Oh, what are you going to eat after?" It's you like can eat like a bacon cheeseburger and get it all back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can, you can afford to have some pizza after, but it's not like like you slam a whole pizza. Okay, good. You're you're like you're even for the day. <laughs> so it's not it's not like you're yeah you're not it's not like you're you're doing anything all that significant. Anyway, man, you've got a lot. Like in, even in the next week, like yeah. a handful of things going on. Try not to. Think That's just where we are. I know. It's fine. Don't think about it. Uh, I've got a couple of dirt talk questions. Going to dig in. Yeah. With my very little bit of remaining energy. Yep. Uh, this question is a little heavy. Um, so I just want to say thanks to Dylan for sending this in. He says, I've fallen in love with the heavy machine world and all it has to offer. And through that, finding content such as your own, which has helped shape how I try to be in the workplace. But unfortunately, I learned recently how brutal this industry can be due to a workplace accident that happened to another one of our quarries not 20 minutes from mine regarding someone being crushed. I'm not even a year into this world of heavy machinery, and today I already felt a gut-wrenching feeling of never wanting to come back. He also mentions complacency um, in the industry. Are situations like this just a tough reality of the dirt world and what is actually being done to mitigate those things? It can be a reality, but it doesn't have to be a reality. It is a dangerous environment. The dirt world is it, like it, we operate within a dangerous world. But but these days, if you're if you're really caring for people and living in a safe manner and have enough training, it's pretty. I wouldn't say easy, but it's not complicated to not endanger yourself. Like I was thinking about the other day, I would be very 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 confident in betting that far more people in the industry pass away from automotive accidents driving and going to going leaving work than they do at work on the job side. yeah the, so sure you can't have some terrible accidents some fatalities in this industry a lot of it is complacency sometimes it's it's inexperience but a lot of times it's complacency just like we know the right way but we'll just do it this easy way because it's faster and, and what rather than letting it terrify me to a point where I just, oh, I don't want to be here anymore or freeze up or anything like that. I don't think that's a good, if it's for you, I don't think that's a good reason to to be afraid. I think it's a compelling reason to, I need to care for those around me more. I need to educate myself more on safe practices. I need to make sure I am present at work and making sure I'm not complacent. So I'm not, you know, getting smashed the night before. I go to a shift at the quarry because I know I'm not going to be able to operate as effectively as I need to operate and putting myself and, you know, in turn, putting myself in greater harm's way. Um, well, and you're not just responsible for your life all the time when you're on a job site. Yeah. Know? So you're kind of all keeping each other safe. Uh, that's it. Yeah. So I think those stories are useful as far as here's the reality of what can happen. Um, that said, it doesn't need to happen. If we're all doing what we should be doing, and if we're all caring for one another, and if we're all taking responsibility for our actions, and if we're all making sure we're not 
falling victim to complacency. So, yeah, there you go. What really like caught me and is what I what I've been thinking about. Obviously, like that that's like a tragic accident. It's like really sad, and like clearly this is like you know close to where this guy was working, and you know there's probably some kind of personal connection one way or another. I'm catching myself thinking more about. I'm not even a year into this world of heavy machinery, and today I already felt a gut-wrenching feeling of never wanting to come back. Yeah. Like, when I think about, like, stuff that I love and it getting, like, tainted in one way or another, even if it's, like, temporary, like, that's, like, a really heavy thing to, like, have to reckon with. Well, and, yeah, it, it it's, you know, what I've learned in therapy is process the emotion. Like, allow yourself to feel yeah. scared. That's, right. a, that's a good, and valuable I think what feeling. That, that's what that looks like to me is, like, the that like first stage of like this, I, I'm not going to feel this way forever, but it sure as hell feels like this yeah. right now. And so great. That's okay to feel like that. And yeah. then now it's, you know, after you've been able to feel like that for a little bit, it's how can I learn from this and use this to care for and keep those I work with and, and myself safe at my quarry. And then, Hey, maybe I realize like, Holy smokes, the company I work for does not care about me. I need to go elsewhere. Cause there's a lot of companies where it's, very, very, very serious. And it's very, very, very caring. And it's very, very, very thoughtful when it comes to safety. And mm -hmm. every accident I've seen like that, there's always, here are the five different things that could have prevented that. That should have prevented that. That should have prevented that. Yeah. So yeah, fatalities are unfortunately a reality of the industry, but they're statistically speaking, super, super rare. The most common kind of fatality is probably a worker getting hit on a highway project by traffic. By other people. Yes. That's probably, if I had to guess, by far the most Ugh. common. And we don't talk about, again, exhaustion, driving to and from work, mm -hmm. because I'm sure that kills a lot more people than anything in any kind of construction industry does. Suicide, that kills five times more people yeah. than people who lose their lives on the job. We don't talk about mental health. So there's a lot of other things there that we can focus on um, as well. Thanks for sending that in, Dylan. And thanks for talking about that, Aaron. The best thing I've found that you can do is just what can be learned from this. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't think it's a, it's a good, I think it's almost a, an argument to stay in the industry because it's, man, this is happening. What could I have done to, not to, to not to assign responsibility mm -hmm. on like, I could have prevented that. I should have prevented it. But how can I, as a leader in the dirt world, make sure that doesn't happen to anyone around me? I guess one thing I'm thinking about is, and I'm generalizing here and I'm projecting, so bear with that. Say, you know, you're the person who runs this business where like this person, you know, had, a, had an accident, was passed away. Is like your next move, we're going to have to do all the safety training because our insurance is going to go up. I mean, obviously it's not that cold, but. Any implementing of like safety things, like that's all, a lot of that's probably going to be like required for insurance. Yeah. So a lot of times safety is compliance. Yeah. And safety is insurance and regulation and legal. You know, it's unfortunate that it's that way, but, and not that to say all these people don't care about people. Mm. But these programs are not designed from an actual caring no. standpoint. It's really just a compliance function is how they're designed and carried out. And so, but I think to, to have, a, have a really strong program, it comes from a deep sense of caring. 
and, and compassion and love and empathy, that's where a proper safety program should come from. And we need more of that in the industry. Mm-hmm. So that's a great, great. You're a young, young person in the industry. You're a young leader. How do you help the industry do more of that? Because that's what we, what we need. Um, and the companies that do have those programs that really come from a sense of caring for people are hands down the most successful. Yeah. Like they've, they programs. actually works or they actually work, which is pretty crazy. I mean, it's not crazy, but it's amazing that more companies don't pursue that line of thinking. I could see a lot of leadership um, groups almost feel like helpless after like something like this, where, you know, obviously like there's, we got to, they have to do this training and, you know, other things that feel like you say like a little bit more about compliance Mm -hmm. than, than like actual safety. I'm sure it could feel very like almost in a helpless position where it's like, I'm doing like what the like law says and, but how do I like in, encourage more of like, like what you're saying, like this culture of like, of like real care. I feel like that would be difficult if it's not already in place. Like how do, how do I go from, we're clearly missing this like actual in practice safety measure, safety culture to go from like not having that to having that, I'm sure like is really difficult, especially after like a thing happens. Well, it's, it's cultural change that you have to create yeah. and that takes a long time, but it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, like we talked to the hoopball guys, it took them five years to get to where they are. It didn't just happen overnight and it starts from the top. Um, but you just chip away at it. And after a few years of really changing and shaping the new culture you want to create, it is a way better way to go yeah. than just staying with the status quo. All so, right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. All right. Next question is from Corey. Question's a little long, but this is, I think it's good. I'm a 27-year-old project engineer for a contractor that works throughout the Southeast U.S. It's no secret that a large number of people in the field, superintendents and managers, are in the age range of retiring in the next five to 10 years with no real replacement person lined up for their position. Through my experience, you hear from all the older guys about how bad their family life is or how many wives they've had since they work on the road and are never home. In my opinion, the new generation wants to be more involved in their family and work closer to home. So in turn, that contributes to guys quitting after five to 10 years of working to go work closer to home and do other jobs instead. I find myself in this position because I'm getting married in a few months. I love big equipment and construction, but family is becoming more and more a part of my life. What's your opinion on this problem? Gotta do what's best for you. I think the market will adjust. These companies that travel, they're going to have to figure out how to keep people a little bit more local. I think that's just the, they've built their business on being able to move people or hire people wherever they need to go. That's not reality anymore. They'll adjust, but you as an individual, you need to do what's best for you. I think it's not right for you. You have to go somewhere else. Not right for you. Go somewhere else, man. I think that's simple. I think if, if based on what I've learned, I've never been married, so I'm not one to speak on the subject, but based on what I've learned, I think people would, you know, they regret getting a divorce. They don't typically regret leaving jobs. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and maybe you can structure your life or have that conversation with the company you're working with. Maybe you can move into the office or just stay put in one region and, hey, I don't want to move somewhere and be just set those expectations. Be clear with that if you like the company you're at. Again, we have a value of transparency wins for a reason because it really wins. You you. If you, you're working for a great business that cares about you, you should be able to have that conversation saying, hey, honestly, I'm a little nervous about this. I've seen what happens to other guys. I'm getting married. I just 
what would you do in, in my situation? If you have someone higher up in the business that cares about you and you have a good relationship with, that's probably a great place to start. Have that conversation with them. But ultimately, do what's best for you. I struggle to, to feel bad for these companies. I, I, I get it. Um, but they're going to have to adjust their businesses to the realities of where the workforce and where the, the world is at nowadays. And it's not where it was 50 years ago when they built their current business model. It just doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And I think that from like their perspective, and we've talked about this a little bit before, even if like it, you know, that did work 50 years ago and they can, they can complain or they can be frustrated, be like, if people only did it this way, it would work. And it's like, that's true, but it doesn't matter. Because like this, this is what the workforce requires now. Yeah. So you can either struggle or like do what the workforce requires. Yeah. And I, I don't have a good answer. And again, I'm not hiring blue collar people all over different states and moving people around this and that. But I just think, again, it comes back to caring and how can we be more cognizant of people's family life? How can we be more caring of human beings in general? And maybe it's not dramatically shifting the business. Maybe it's, you know, here's what we can do to retain people or Maybe it's a different schedule, you know, two weeks on, one week off, you know, one week off, or I don't know what it is. A lot of companies have tried a lot of different things. It's a tricky, tricky deal to navigate from a company standpoint. Um, but from an individual standpoint, do what's best for, for you at the end of the day. Yep. That's, that's a no brainer. And well, I would give anybody within our company that advice is, Hey, ideally what's best for you can also fit within BuildWit. But if it doesn't, that's okay. You need to do what's best for you. Uh, that's by far the approach. Right on. But also it's, you know, and maybe maybe doing business differently. Maybe it's teaching people how to communicate more effectively. Maybe it's we're going to go leverage Echelon Front and teach our people extreme ownership so that they're just better husbands and wives when they go home. So that maybe that does help them work. There's a lot of people that work away from home a lot and are very successful. They just don't have the school the tools they need to make it, you know, most people don't have the tools they need, they need to make it successful. So maybe give them the damn tools. Maybe give them the training they need. Maybe have those conversations with them. Hey, how's, how's, how's everything at home? How's everything at home? So, and I know it's like talking with like a, you know, JP or somebody like that at Echelon Front. They started to, someone like that, you know, he, he went through a rough, rough, part of his relationship and that's because he wasn't taking extreme ownership and then he was given those tools and became that 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 more effective individual through extreme ownership and and all that and and now he has a great family family life and great relationship and he's on the road a lot so maybe that's another way to approach it i don't know that's interesting i think like we've talked to a couple companies recently who like invest in you know a version of training like for their people um, and both of them have referenced that, like investing in their people, um, to be better people is like really an important part of that training to them. Yeah. And maybe it's, I mean, maybe it's, uh, both, maybe it's investing in people and allowing them to communicate and just be better at, at home. And then it's also, maybe we need to adjust some of the business models in the industry so that it's more of a localized type approach yeah. where you have one contractor in that one region and you don't have these massive contractors just scooting to wherever they need to go in that in the in the I, I don't know i don't know i just know the market's gonna adjust well yeah it's like if, if you can say we can solve turnover by doing this thing most people would probably 
like agree to that thing, but it's they're so worried, like, you know, well, here's like how we run our business. And so we have to do it this way because like, that's what works. I mean, it's like, clearly it doesn't like, if you look at what you're doing right now, but I, I think there is, um, I mean, obviously a lot of companies are resistant to that change still. Mm-hmm. Which it's fair. I don't, I don't blame them. I would be too. Um, but they'll, they'll need to navigate it. So yep. from a company standpoint, how do I care for my people? And okay, great. If my business is stuck in this model, at least now, you know, even if you need to adjust your model down the road, it's not going to adjust today. How can I equip my people today with just the ability to be more effective and take extreme ownership over their personal lives so that they're not getting divorced unnecessarily? And then me as an individual, I need to do what's best for for me as an individual at the end of the day. So if that's leaving the company you've been at because that's what's going to be best for your family, do that. Might have to do that. Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you uh, for that question, Corey. I think that's Dirt Talk, my friend. That's a Dirt Talk episode. If you have things, thoughts, um, we have a feedback form, buildwit.com slash feedback. If you want to write Alex, Dirt Talk at buildwit.com. He sees everything mm-hmm. you send there. He would love to hear from you. Um, rate us on the podcast app if you can. Listen to us on the Buildwit app. Download it yep. if you haven't. Check out the podcast and all of our leaders' content totally for free. And with that, we'll see you on the next episode of Dirt Talk. Stay dirty, everybody. Bye.